0: Reconstructionist Radio presents a war room production, Once Dead, where brothers and sisters in the faith share God's grace upon their lives, how they were once spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins, but are now kingdom-driven by the grace of God so undeserved. My name is Alan Miracle, and I was once dead. I was born in 1977 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Went to church every Sunday with my parents, who, you know, took us religiously uh, (pun intended). It was a liberal, mostly liberal Methodist church. And I, I I learned the Bible. I was in Sunday school. I would read the Bible during the boring sermons on Sunday morning and such. I would read Old Testament history because it interested me. I would read Genesis and Exodus, Judges and Joshua and the Samuels and Kings and the Gospels sometimes, just because they were you know they carried some action and they they uh, held my attention a, a bit more than uh, other parts of the Bible did. So I grow to new. I grew to know the Bible, and yet. I did not believe it. My heart was not changed, and in fact, I was enslaved to my sin. There came a time uh, around age 12 or so, I began to question. I am sort of uh, pessimistic and dark and cynical by nature, and I asked a lot of questions. I asked questions about dinosaurs. I asked questions about science, uh, the problem that some people call a divine hiddenness, I couldn't see God. I asked questions about the problem of evil. And if you know anything about liberal theology, you know that they just plain don't have answers to those questions. Not ones that satisfy a hungry soul, a soul that's hungry for truth. In some sense, I have to admit that uh, while I loved my sin, I wouldn't have phrased it that way. I wouldn't have said, yeah, man, I love sin. But I did not love the, uh, the truth that I knew that God was real. In, in some ways, I suppressed it and... And I'm definitely a product of self-deception. I I pushed it down so much that I wouldn't have even recognized the fact that I was pushing down and suppressing the knowledge of God that he had put in me from the very beginning. But I knew that there was something out there. I knew that there was something different. And yet my profession, I couldn't justify making a profession of faith. And so I became a professing atheist, uh, or at least a hard agnostic. I wasn't ever sure which. I did not think there was a God, and yet I prayed Asking God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. I wanted to know the truth. I, my, my spirit was yearning in some ways for some meaning because the Lord brought me to a place of great despair. I looked forward to my life. I looked at all of the things I might accomplish and achieve, all of my ambitions over the course of 80 years, 80, 90 years, whatever it was. I had, I had my plans laid out. I was going to be this and that. I was going to have a family. I was going to have this job, this career. And then I thought, you know, in 80, 90 years, I'm going to die. I am going to crumble into dust. I will cease to be. And everything that I was will crumble into nothingness. And all that I thought, all that I was hoping for will end up in death. And there will be nothing left. And I won't even be remembered in 200 years. And even if I were, who cares? So in many ways, it was the, the great... Uh, the great quandary expressed in Ecclesiastes, and in fact, I sometimes gravitated to Ecclesiastes and also to the Book of Habakkuk, uh, at least the first chapter in which the prophet grills God, and I'm like, yeah, take it to that God, man. He's got he's got a lot to got a lot to explain himself for. But God brought me to a place where I was simultaneously convicted of my sin and the darkness inside of me, and also, uh, I like to say that God showed me the void. I looked into the void of despair, a world without God, a a universe without meaning or value, and that void looked right back. It winked, and I flinched. I have to say it like that. I became very distressed over my depravity. I became very aware of it. I began repenting of my depravity. I began uh, repenting, for example, of uh, the the filthy curse words I used to use all the time, and uh, to some extent, the bitterness that seized my heart, and uh, lustful things, and, and things like that. And the strange thing is that the Lord actually convicted me of these things and I sort of repented of them before I professed Christ, which is something I can't really explain uh, in solid systematics, but I do know that he was drawing me unto himself. And there came a day I had started wearing a cross necklace under my shirt for really no good reason. Now, I was not well liked at school. I was in the government school system, but I did not have you know, very many good relationships, uh, very many friendships. And... I just decided one day in my backyard, I took that cross necklace in my hand and I said, the kids at school hate me. They're going to hate me for Jesus now. And I pulled out that cross from under my shirt. Now, I don't even know what day this was, and that's not, not even necessarily which month. I believe it was uh, nearly before my 16th birthday. And I believe that that moment was my moment of regeneration, you might say. No, I never walked an aisle. I never had any uh, you know, heart-shattering uh jailhouse conversion or any uh, you know, any invitation down to the front to receive Christ or raising my hand and ginning up the courage to walk down and meet the evangelist, nothing like that. Didn't get attracted, had never really been uh, you know, confronted with uh with what I would call a super super well-asserted declaration of the gospel, and yet I knew it from reading the Bible, and somehow it got filtered through all of the mess and the junk that I was also getting at that church. And so, by God's grace, I began to serve Him and to follow Him. I began to read the Bible. I began to gravitate toward spiritual things. I began to gravitate toward reading the Word of God and understanding it. And I had, while I was very afraid and timid, and the Lord began to sanctify me and work that fear of man out of me. And he began to change me, and he began to turn my thoughts toward holiness and my thoughts toward uh, the, state of, the state of my classmates and peers and friends, their lostness. And I realized that it was important for me to stand for Jesus Christ in my school. And so lacking very good discipleship, lacking very good uh, teaching or strategy about how to do that sort of thing, I would, I would do it as best as I knew how. I got out of high school and blessed the day that I left that place. I went to university continued to serve the Lord Jesus there in ways that continually growing to know how. And I have to say that over the course of probably a decade of uh, of walking with Jesus and yes pursuing his word and trying to be in a good, you know, healthy well-balanced church as I would have said at the time and uh, trying to understand the right the right doctrine the right theology trying to understand the right arguments for God's existence you see I had a, a really sensitive spot because I, I realized that uh, you know, if I had run into somebody who knew well the arguments in favor of God's existence or could explain how it's possible to know that Jesus is Lord, uh, if I had met somebody like that back during my lost times, my dark times, then maybe, maybe you know, I would have turned to Jesus earlier. And that would have been wonderful because you know, how much time did I waste? I wasted, I wasted time, I wasted mental energy, and you know, just went through, went, went through dark periods. Uh, and so I began. You know, I I was I was learning all about that, and I was exploring apologetics and exploring doctrine and theology, and I became very good at it. I became very adept at taking apart theological arguments and understanding cults and trying to reach out to cults and false religions and international students and things like that. And yet, I I still struggled with fear of man without really knowing that that's what it was. But I, when I would think about evangelizing somebody, I was terribly afraid, and. I even I began leading a, a Bible study in a small group in, my, in the Southern Baptist Church that I was a part of at the time, small group, and I began to uh, provoke our small group, and we would go out on a monthly basis. We would take one, one night a week, uh, I'm sorry, one, one of our weekly uh, meeting nights, we would go out to the campus once per month. There it is. <laughs> we would go out to the University of Oklahoma campus, uh, sorry, I just got a text. Ha! And we would, uh, we would walk around and just engage students in conversation, try to help them understand the, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. And there were times that I was successful in that. There were times that the Lord really blessed with some good conversations. There were other times when I sat glued to the bench, terribly afraid. And literally once or twice, I did not move from that bench for an hour and a half. I just sat there hating myself. The fear of man gripped me so powerfully, and I prayed, Oh, God help me get past this. I would watch videos sometimes. I had a vague awareness of street preachers like Ray Comfort who would take people through the good person test and would call out sin and preach the law of God. And I didn't really know much about those categories at the time, but I thought, wow, a street preacher. Man, that is really like the pinnacle of boldness. How do you get up in front of hundreds or thousands of people that you don't know and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? Boy, Man, if I, if I knew that I had five minutes left to live, that's something I would do. But I don't know if I could do it now, I'll tell you what. Well, little did I know what the Lord had in store for me. But it all began with... Uh, I had been actually turned from, from pro-choice to pro-life as part of my sanctification, my freshman year of college. And I, I found in the student newspaper a page insert with a bunch of pro-life argumentation and baby carnage photos, graphic images... My mind was changed that day from pro-choice to pro-life. And I lived as a pro-lifer thinking that really that wasn't the main thing that we need to deal with. We need to engage this fallen world with the gospel as I thought of it at the time and kind of the existence of God and all that kind of stuff. But when my first child uh, died as a miscarriage, very young, and the, the grief was very powerful and hard to bear, and uh, I struggled with it. I didn't struggle with God's existence or anything uh, cliched like that. I just, I was very torn apart with grief. And I realized, this my little Sorda, my little daughter, was a human being, created in God's image, and I loved her. And the Lord decided to take her from me, for reasons that He only knows, and I, to this day, I don't know. And I believe that that is the day in which he began to germinate the seed of abolition. As I understood that these are actual human beings that are being ripped apart intentionally by those who should love them most. And as I began to study the scripture relating to child sacrifice. And then as I came back from that and I had a, I, I was able to have uh, other children with my wife, thankfully, and yet other miscarriages as well. And the Lord began to bring bring into some of my friends' minds and hearts a conviction that the church of Jesus Christ is not standing up against injustice. And we have an obligation to follow the Great Commission. We have an obligation to cry out against injustice, like it says in Proverbs 24 and 31, like it says in Isaiah 58, like it says all throughout the Old Testament prophets, like it says in Ephesians 5. And where is is the, the, the church's voice? my church at the time was full of you know good theology and book studies and the occasional jaunt out to you know do some sort of creationist or intelligent design event or something like that and yet no regular pattern of outreach to the masses no regular pattern of of crying out against injustice and making their voice heard and as that church began to react against these ideas that my nascent abolitionist friends were, uh, were expressing. And I began to join with them and help them and understand that this is something that the Church of Jesus Christ ought to be doing. And I was, again, sort of driven by, you know, my first daughter's death and the understanding that, hey, this blood is in our streets. And as I realized and as I saw the way that the conservative churches pushed back because they desired to retain their comfort, because they desired to be left alone, in their pursuit of knowledge. Well, my heart was changed. The Lord Jesus has brought me a long way. The Lord Jesus has stripped me of idolatry of men, the fear of man, where through practice and persistence in attempting to do righteousness, now I can go out to the abortion mill, and I do, and I am not afraid. I can go alone with a camera, you know, to be wise, And I'm not afraid. I can stand toe-to-toe with people yelling filthy things at me. And while I'm sure I don't always react 100% perfectly, I'm not afraid. I can stand with a bullhorn in front of a crowd of thousands and preach the gospel and talk about the word of God and try to convict sinners of repentance by God's grace. May God use me for that. And I am not afraid because the Lord Jesus has taken away my fear because I faced it so many times by his power. Such terror I have felt, however. I have, before going into evangelism, I mentioned being glued to a bench before I ever took my first open-air preaching opportunity and, well, I made it, really. uh, I was just terribly, terribly, terribly uh, afraid, terrified of it. And I was terrified the second time, and I was terrified the third and fourth and fifth and sixth time. But I was a little less terrified the seventh time, a little less the eighth time, a little less the ninth time. And I had a friend... And other, well, I had several friends at the time who came alongside me who would work with me. I believe that, that was part of, that's part of God's design, that, that men and women sharpen each other, brethren in Christ sharpen each other, and encourage each other, and exhort each other to obey. And as I have had their exhortation, their encouragement, it has helped me overcome the fear of man, which is a snare according to Proverbs 29. So much, I have, so much that the Lord has overcome in me, I desire to be an encouragement and an exhorter in the lives of many other people who are willing to say true things to proclaim the word of God to the culture, this culture of death that hates the gospel. I desire so much to, uh, to see other people come along and to defeat the fear of man as the Lord has defeated it in me. How I desire to see people set free from those chains. How I desire to see people stand up against injustice and obey God because it is such a blessing to obey Him and to know that I am making my calling and election sure, and I am, by God's grace, I am pleasing Him, and I believe that He smiles when His word is proclaimed faithfully, especially on the streets to lost people. How I desire to, uh, uh, as it were, see, uh, you know, or be be part of the cause of angels in heaven rejoicing over one sinner who repents. How I desire to be a powerful of powerful use to the kingdom of God. My name is Alan Miracle, and I am now, by the grace of God, kingdom driven.